0: Let us pray. God, we do give you praise for all of the gifts, all of the talents that you have given. And we pray, Lord, that as we understand that these are gifts that you have given to us, that as we return them, might they glorify you and you alone. It's in your name we pray. Amen and amen. Please be seated, sisters and brothers. And- it is good to be here with you this morning. Before we dive in, I just want to uh, make a couple or just tell you a couple things. You may have noticed a couple of changes. Uh, one of those is um, our street lights, if you're our parking lot lights, I should say. I don't know if you have uh, been here at night, but if so, you will notice that there is a difference. We've uh, updated almost all of them. We still have a couple more to do, but um, but A, they're, be, they're much more efficient, and B, um, um, they actually shed light, uh, which is great. And so... Um, um it makes a huge difference so I just want to uh, let you all know that to be aware of that if you come here at night and you see, oh, there's something different that you're not just uh, you know kind of imagining things it really is and then secondly, we also uh, you may have noticed this uh, even more prominently we have a new speaker system so you can everybody yeah see there you go there it is right up there and um, we've had the same speakers for about 25 years. Uh, they were the original ones. And technology has changed. Um, and so what this is supposed to do is really be helpful in terms of making sure there aren't as many hotspots. We had particular areas in the sanctuary where it was really loud, other areas where it was much quieter. And so, uh, so, what, so what these newer systems can do is help to distribute that. And we have some acoustic treatments that are going to be coming uh, over the next uh, couple of weeks. So we're not quite done yet. But I just kind of wanted to make you aware of that. If I sound really good today, that's the reason why. Alright, so, uh, we also, this morning, we get to bring in some new members, which is going to be outstanding. We're excited about that, but before we uh, get into that, uh, we're going to continue our look at the Gospel of John. Let me just uh, say something before we dive in. Uh, We we did the first chapter, then the second chapter. I'm actually, today, we're going to start at the 22nd verse of the third chapter. And we're skipping the first part, which was very well known about Nicodemus uh, and Jesus and being born again. And the only reason we're skipping over it is because of the fact that Uh, I preached on this maybe three or four months ago. So we thought, well, rather than just kind of continuing or diving back into that again, we'd skip over that. But I want you to know that's what's happened. And now we're at the 22nd verse of the third chapter. And so I invite you to hear these words from John. John writes this, After this, which is his meeting with Nicodemus, Jesus and his disciples went into the Judean countryside and he spent some time there with them and baptized. And John was also baptizing at Anon, near Salim, because water was abundant there. And people kept coming and were being baptized. John, of course, had not yet been thrown into prison. Now, a discussion about purification arose between John's disciples and a Jew. And they came to John and said to him, Rabbi, The one who was with you across the Jordan to whom you testified, here he is baptizing, and all are going to him. John answered, No one can receive anything except what has been given from heaven. You yourselves are my witnesses that I said I am not the Messiah, but I have been sent ahead of him. And he who has the bride is the bridegroom, the friend of the bridegroom, who stands and hears And hears him rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. For this reason, my joy has been fulfilled. He must increase, but I must decrease. The one who comes from above is above all. The one who is of the earth belongs to the earth and speaks about earthly things. The one who comes from heaven is above all. He testifies to what he has seen and heard, yet no one accepts his testimony. But whoever has accepted his testimony has certified this, that God is true. He whom God has sent speaks the words of God, for he gives the Spirit without measure. The Father loves the Son and has placed all things in his hands. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever disobeys the Son will not see life, but must endure God's wrath. Sisters and brothers in Christ, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. God, we thank you for this moment. After a busy week, more than likely, perhaps a busy Saturday, and before another week, Lord, that comes relentlessly, it seems, we have set aside this time to acknowledge you, to acknowledge who you are, who we are in you, and to acknowledge our dependence upon you and those times when we have far too often forgotten that. So be with us even now. And I pray that the words of my mouth, the meditation of all of our hearts, will be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen and amen. So, yet one more time in the Gospel of John, uh, we are reminded, or we see something that we don't see in Matthew. Mark, or Luke. That's kind of the fun part about going through the Gospel of John. Some have suggested that John was probably written, was the final Gospel that was written, and that maybe John actually had already heard or read Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and and so he didn't just include the same stories that they did, but rather he gave us stories that we wouldn't have heard uh, in any of the previous Gospels. And And so we get to hear for the first time that it seems Jesus and John the Baptist were both ministering at the exact same time. And uh, not only that, but it appears they were also ministering in a pretty similar area. And and it's into that scene that we kind of jump that John takes us. And apparently there was a discussion with, uh, with, with a gentleman and some of John the Baptist's disciples, and they were discussing purification. Because that's a, a riveting thing to talk about. And so they were talking about the right of purification, it seems. We're not given many details, but it, it, more than likely, this is a great theological discussion that they are having. And so they take this discussion, and they bring it to John the Baptist. And when they come to John the Baptist, they have a question for him. Actually, not a question, just a statement to him, which is, which is this. Rabbi... The one who was with you across the Jordan to whom you testified, here he is baptizing and all are going to him. Now, this may be nothing, but I I just want to stop here for a moment and I want you to understand what John is saying here, what he's setting up. Not yet, not yet, not yet. Did you guys read that? Don't lie. All right, one of you. Thank you. There's one honest soul here. Here's what I want you to to hear, is that they were having all this discussion about this deep theological issue, and yet... When they come to John, you think they're going to ask John something about that theological issue, right? But they don't. Instead, this is what they say in the message. This is what I want us to see here. Uh, Rabbi, you know the one who was with you on the other side of the Jordan, the one you authorized with your witness. Well, he's now competing with us. He's baptizing too, and everyone's going to him instead of us. Now, we're going to talk about this competition, this sense of envy in just a moment. But what I want you to, to see here is this strange thing that I think John's trying to help us to see, which is that a lot of times uh, we're talking about theological things and we're, we're competing with other folks, quote, or churches or whatnot. But if you scratch the surface a little bit, what you begin to see is actually you're not really talking about those theological things. You're actually just envious or jealous of what's going on with somebody else. Here's an example. a few weeks ago uh, I'm Facebook friends with this presbyterian pastor and, uh, and and this person posted this article about a church uh, in her area that's really growing and I thought well that's nice but then when you begin to see what she actually wrote uh, it was this theological statement she was making which was oh well in the headline it said quote his ministry as if it was the pastor's ministry and so she was like oh that's horrible it's not his ministry it's the ministry of Jesus right through which the this person is a part, and, and, and these are. This is not that interesting to you all. I realize, but uh, but 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 she's actually right. I think I don't really like it. You, I don't think you'll hardly ever hear me say something about my ministry because I really think theologically that's much more accurate. But. But honestly, I don't think that that's really what she was upset about. I I really think, you know, that more than likely uh, uh, what's really happening is that there's a certain amount of jealousy over the fact that this person's ministry is thriving and growing. And while you could have just posted this and say, isn't it great the way the Lord is at work? Typically, what we do is we just get envious, right? I understand it, right? We'll say things about, well, you know that that church is just growing because they're offering a watered-down gospel. Now, maybe there's some truth to that. It's not that theology is unimportant, but it is the fact that oftentimes, if you scratch the surface, what you really get at is this plain old envy, right? I mean, we experience this, right? I mean, uh, uh, sometimes, you know, we'll see a couple of kids, uh, so a parent will so have two kids, and those two kids are so well-behaved, and, and we'll just be like, well, pff, if they had four kids, they wouldn't be that well-behaved, would they? No. <laughs> Right? And if you scratch the surface, it's really just because we're envious that their kids are so well-behaved. Right? Or, oh, well, you know what? She got that promotion. Well, that's just because she's always brown-nosing the boss. No wonder if I brown nose the boss, I could get a promotion too. And you bring up these other things, and if you're just like, no, you're like, oh, okay, fine. I'm just... Jealous. My, my my point is just it's always to be wise to think about what are we really saying when we make these assumptions about folks. So so again, I, so 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 we see this kind of this sense of this this jealousy or this envy that the disciples of John the Baptist bring. Why is everyone going to Jesus? Jesus is the one that you baptized, and they're all going to him. How does John the Baptist? respond. Well, you know how John the Baptist responds because he is such a good guy. I mean, John the Baptist is amazing. He says, hey, everything I have comes from above, so none of this is mine anyways. And he goes on to say, let me remind you, as we saw in the very first chapter, I already told you I'm not the Messiah. Remember what we said in John 1, which is is really important to see that that John the Baptist was really good, I mean, he was really good he wasn't he wasn't that kind of person that was a wallflower, and he was just like, "Oh no, you, oh, it's all you, no, 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 you, no, no, he was really really good at what he did. Lots of people were coming to him. Remember, they were asking him, are you the Messiah? Are you Elijah? Are you a prophet? He he was charismatic. Uh, He was thunder in the desert. Remember that phrase? That's a great line. Uh, 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 He had an enormous amount of power. Why? Because people were just flocking to him. There was something about him, which, as I said a few weeks ago, is really important to keep in mind that you can be really good at what you do. You can be incredibly successful. You don't need to act like that's not the case. That's fine. But what we also then have to have, and this is what John the Baptist had, was a remarkable amount of humility. You remember the pictures that are the paintings that we showed a few weeks ago, all of them with John the Baptist always pointing to Jesus So how does John the Baptist do this? How is he able to to hold this this, this tension of being really good and yet still pointing over to Jesus? Well, one of the ways that we see this, of course, is because he was always, he had a great realization that everything, as he said, everything comes from above. I'm kind of reticent to talk about this again because I feel like I talk about it a lot, but the reason I talk about it a lot is because it's in Scripture a lot, which is that we wrestle Oftentimes, with remembering everything we have, everything we own is a gift from God. John the Baptist understood that, hey, everything I have is from above, so so why shouldn't I celebrate if those gifts, if those things are coming over in this direction? I'm more than excited to allow Jesus to have all of that, because I know that I didn't create myself. I didn't make myself into this kind of person. I didn't create myself with taste buds that just like locusts. No, he just, it's how he was born, right? He just, he loved that, right? And so, so he understood all of that. And I think that most of us struggle with that. We, we want to take what we've been given and keep it our own. And because of that, we become envious and jealous of others. I want to, just as a brief aside, a part of what makes this really hard is it's hard to force yourself to just believe that everything you are is a gift from God. You, you, you kind of, I've tried it. It's really hard to just say, oh, no, it's a gift. It's a gift. It's a gift. And it's part of the reason why we said that if you wrestle with that, you need to engage in the spiritual practice. And this spiritual practice is this, generosity. Okay? Generosity, the act of giving Remind yourself that everything that you have is a gift. And the more that you realize it is a gift then the more that you, the less that you will be likely to be jealous or envious of others because you realize that what they have is just a gift. It doesn't mean they're any better than you or worse than you. They've just been given a different gift. And so the way in which we counter that is to be generous. And let me say this because this is really important. Most people think that you just wake up. Remember we've said this. Generous, you don't. So today, you know, this is my favorite thing. When you go out to eat, And you sit there and you stare at the tip. And you always remember me anyways, because I talk about this all the time and you're feeling guilty. Here's what I'm okay with you feeling guilty. Here's what I want you to think. You don't just all of a sudden just be like, I just feel like giving generously. It is a spiritual practice. But the more that you do it, the more that you then begin to see that everything you have is a gift. a gift. Right, Or if you're generous to the church. I had somebody in uh, a couple churches ago. Uh, This is not a joke. He would sit at the beginning of the year before he gave a pledge and he would would look over his own calendar and he would say, okay, I'm going on vacation six Sundays. uh, So I won't be here. I'm going to be away from work four Sundays. uh, So I'm only going to be here for 40 Sundays. I give this much per every Sunday that I'm here and that's how he would decide what to pledge. Oh, come on, if, if any of you do that, I wanna to talk to you later. Here's what I want you to know, this is missing out on the point of generosity. Right, it's not what am I getting back in return and therefore that's what I'm going to give. It's not, well, if you were the most amazing server, then I'm gonna be generous. That's not what generosity is. Generosity is just cultivating, that I'm just gonna give, I'm gonna give, I'm gonna give as a way of remembering that everything you have is a gift. And the more that you do that, just try it and see. It won't happen overnight. Try it and see. The less likely you are to become more and more envious or jealous, the less likely you will become. You will become more giving. You will become less envious, less jealous. Why can John the Baptist so easily point to Jesus? Because he knew that everything came from above but he also knew exactly who he was and who he was created to be. This is why he brings up this analogy of the groom and the best man. Again, I want us to see what the message has to say about this. Let's look at this. He says this. The one who gets the bride is, by definition, the bridegroom. And the bridegroom's friend, his best man, that's me, in place at his side where he can hear every word, is genuinely happy? How could he be jealous when he knows that the wedding is finished and the marriage is off to a good start? That's why, John the Baptist says, that's why my cup is running over. This is the assigned moment for him to move into the center while I slip off into the sidelines. Jesus, or Jesus, John the Baptist knew who he was. He knew that he wasn't God. He knew that he was God's child. And it allowed him then to be someone who was always pointing to Jesus. Now, how did he know this? I don't know exactly how he knew this, but I want to remind you of what we talked about last week. This is one of the great blessings of going through a gospel or a letter like we are doing, which is everything builds off of what has come before. Last week, if you were here, we talked about Jesus turning over the tables. And what was Jesus doing? He was saying, I'm not going to let anything get in the way of me and those that I love. And the more that you understand, the more that you can experience the love of Jesus Christ, the more that you realize just how loved you are by God, the more you are comfortable with being the best man, the more that you are comfortable with sitting up here next to the groom and pointing to the groom. It's one of the most exciting things. I get to, I've officiated, I don't know how many weddings, but a fair amount. And so I'm not the best man at those, but I am the officiant. And I get to stand up here, and I'm telling you, one of the most exciting things is to see the groom who's just about to pass out, and he's just shaking. And I mean, it's just, you know, I mean, he's about to lose it. And when you see that bride come in, you can sense the joy you can sense the excitement. And see, this is our call. It's to be over here as the, as the officiant, not the officiant, but as the best man and to be excited about what you're seeing Jesus do. This is the great joy. This is why John the Baptist is so full of joy. He says it, I'm full of joy because I get to see the groom and I get to see how excited he is about the bride coming down. This is a part of the call that we get to do. But if you don't do that, If you don't know how loved you are, if you don't know your role, and if you don't know that everything you have is a gift, then you get caught in the cycle of coveting, of being envy, and of being jealous. And what he goes on to say at the end of this passage, it can be a little bit confusing, but basically he goes on to say, then you kind of experience the wrath of God. And again, what the message says is that you grow into darkness and I love what Eugene Peterson says, not just darkness, but angry darkness. When you get in the cycle of comparing yourself continually to others, you begin to go into an incredibly dark and angry place. Now we've talked about this subject a lot, uh, and especially generally. I, I, I've talked about, maybe you remember, this was a couple years ago now, I talked about how I was feeling very good about things in my life, and uh, I was, you know, I had, you know, great church that I was pastoring, and uh, a wonderful wife, and four beautiful daughters. I mean, everything was great, and remember this? I, I logged on to Facebook, and there was a buddy of mine, and he's serving a great church, and he has a wonderful wife and four beautiful daughters. I thought, oh, that's nice, Corey, I love you. Just a good guy. And then I kept reading and I saw on this post that one of our mentors was at his church with him. <laughs> and I thought, well, why does he get to be with him? Why did, why did, why did Daryl Guder choose to be with Corey and not with me? Why is Corey better than me? And immediately, right, I was just angry. I was, I was in a dark, angry place. And, and, I, and I would love to tell you that pastors are unique, but they're not. In fact, I think that's really more of what I want to touch on here for just a couple of minutes is uh, we could touch generally, but I want to talk a little bit more about churches. And, and I don't always like to do that, but I, I want to do it today. Because the reality is we all struggle with this. I, you know, from time to time, I get to hear a couple of, uh, uh, or I get to talk to some former parishioners at a, two other churches that I've served. It's, it's great. I love talking to them. and. Inevitably, though, the discussion will turn to you know, well, hey, uh, you know, how things going at the church, and they'll tell me, oh, you know, this ministry keeps going and it's doing well, and I'm like, oh, that's wonderful, and I'm really am excited about it, and and then we'll start talking, you know, they'll say something about the pastor. I don't try to bring it up. I don't want to bring it up. Oh, the pastor, and you know, he's he's you know, he's doing a good job. He's preaching good sermons, and I'm like, oh, good, good, good. But do you know as the conversation is going, what's on in the back going on in the back of my head? Do you know what I'm waiting for? Maybe I shouldn't be so honest, but I'm going to be. Here's what I'm waiting for. I mean, he's not as good of a pastor as you are, but, uh, (laughs) right? So that then I can be like, oh, you didn't need to say that. And inside, I'm like, yes. How horrible is that? I mean, this person is leading the church, the ministry of Jesus? I mean, that's why when I see this in John the Baptist, I just start applauding. I mean, it's remarkable. I mean, I mean, that's incredible. The way that he was able to just be like, hey, man, it's all from above. And I realize I'm not there yet. And one of the things, if I can continue for just a moment, one of the things I also realize is that whenever I share these sorts of things, uh, it happened a lot, actually, when I talked about how I, uh, I remember the story of when I, when I turned left over here and that person wouldn't let me merge. And when we got to the light, I got out of my car and went and told him I wanted to pray with him. And, and so um, <laughs> that people were, were bothered. Some, some CPCRs were bothered. Why? Oh, you shouldn't. Don't. Don't tell us those things about you, right? And, and I get it. I know some pastors who, who they stand up and it seems like all they do is talk about all their sins and brokenness. And look, man, we don't need to hear about all that, okay? But I do intentionally share some of these own kind of weaknesses or brokenness or let's just call it what it is, sin. Because it's, it's important to me that, that you all know Uh, that I'm very flawed. Here's a part of the reason why it's important. Because I think churches like to put their pastor up on a pedestal. There's this great commentary on this particular passage, and she makes this incredible point, which is that the disciples, she says, of John the Baptist, you know, yes, it was good. They were trying to defend him, uh, this fierce protection of him, that's good and right. But then she went on to say, here's the thing, though, that you should probably be mindful of, is oftentimes what we think is the more prestigious the rabbi, the more prestigious the followers. You see, there's a certain amount of me. I'm not saying it goes on here at all, but I, I do think that the, the, the higher that we put the pastor, the better we begin to feel ourselves because, hey, that's our pastor. And, and, and I was a part of a conversation. Actually, I wasn't. This is was a conversation that I'd heard about going on. This was a couple of years ago now, and uh, someone, someone in our area, and they were talking about the pastor, and they said, well, you know, I have never heard our, our pastor preach a bad sermon And I was like, what? Because <laughs> there ain't no way. I mean, think about this. If you're an accountant, have you every single day, do you always tabulate everything perfectly? Have you ever made a mistake on your job? Have you ever done a poor job? Mike? Yeah, good, okay. <laughs> if you're an attorney, there are some times when you may lose a case. Oh, I didn't go quite as I planned. If you're a stay-at-home mom or stay-at-home dad, are you going to tell me that at the end of the day, you're like, well, I, every day I parent perfectly. <laughs> no, if you say yes to that, you are a liar. And when I heard that comment, I, honestly, I grieve. A, I grieve for the pastor because I realize that they are not seeing this person as, 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 as he really is but I also grieve for the person because I realize that that person may not be quite as spiritually healthy as I would like them to be. Here's, here's what I want you to know, and I, I really mean this. You guys think I'm making this up, but I'm not. I think more than likely it is a much spiritually more, a healthier person who says, yeah, my pastor, I mean, you know, he or she, they're, they're, I like them. They're fine, but yeah, they preach some bad sermons than it is for the person to think, nope, every single sermon that the pastor preaches is wonderful. It's just not true. So first of all, you're welcome for helping you to be healthier. (laughs) My hope is not, my hope, that's not true. My hope would be that every sermon I preach would be great. I know it's not. But my hope is this, that through good sermons and bad sermons, uh, through music that you think, oh, this is just as traditional as I like it, or music that's, oh, this is just as contemporary as I like it, or, or music that you're like, oh, I hated that music, I hated this, I hated that. You know, whether or not our, our, all of our kids' programming is, is spot on or not, or, or, or it has every bell and whistle, that no matter what, through the midst of all of those things, especially through the things that aren't as perfect, the good news is this, if you are still a part of that community, then part of the reason it seems to me that you are there is because it's pointing not to any specific person or music ministry or program, but because it is pointing to Jesus. What we have to learn is that it isn't about all these things being perfect, but it is about whether or not are we always pointing to Jesus. And if you think that things are perfect, then much likely you're missing some things and you're not growing nearly as much as you could if you realize that no, it's not perfect, but we are doing our best to point to Jesus. There's one last thing that I want to say, almost in defense of those disciples of John the Baptist. I don't question that they were competitive that they were somewhat envious, that they were jealous. But I also want to give them some props for understanding that why. They, a part of their sadness here is just the sadness of loss and change. Think about this for a moment they were following John the Baptist who had done some incredible things for them. More than likely, they had been going in one direction, they discovered John the Baptist, and they began to love John the Baptist, and he began to change their lives. He was leading a great, thriving ministry. All of us have been been a part of that. All of us, for one reason or another, were followers of Jesus, and oftentimes, it's because of a particular person who helped us to get there, or, or a program. And so, you say, I love you. I mean, John the Baptist, wonderful and so of course while some of it was certainly envy and jealous some of it is just the sadness of change and loss with the fact that now they folks have moved on over here and as good as that may be it is still going to be difficult for those who so loved and cared for John the Baptist change is always difficult because it always involves loss. I want to bring that up today because it seems to me that more than likely we are on the verge of some change. I've been here now a little over six years and you know what? Mostly we're kind of the same. I mean, I think we're doing great. I think there's good energy. I love it, but, 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 but things are going pretty well. We haven't met a ton of resistance. There's not been a lot of problems. Oh, We've had things to be sure, but, but by and large, things have been going pretty well. And you know a part of the reason for that is because Jesus is, is here, the Spirit is here, and I think that's wonderful. And part of it is because of the fact that we haven't changed that much. But what I know is that more than likely, we're on the verge of some change. And here's what I know, that's gonna be difficult for many of us. The property thing, we're gonna make the presentation next month. We'll talk more about it next Sunday, about when we're gonna do that. But that's gonna be really hard for a lot of us. I was talking to a pastor, a good friend of mine. He just got through with doing something about the similar size of what we're proposing. And so I was talking to him. Hey, man, you got any tips? Or, you know, I was, I was hopeful he was going to be helpful. And he said to me, well, Jerry, get ready. For what? To lose about 10% of your people. And I said, which 10%? Just kidding. That took you a little bit. No. I didn't actually say that. I did say, I'll be honest with you, I did think to myself, I think I'm a little bit better pastor than him, so it probably won't be quite that much. (laughs) Why? Well, because change is hard. Most of you, you're here because at some point, this place has had great significance to you. Maybe it's you know, where you met Jesus for the first time. Maybe it's that your passions for Jesus were rekindled. Maybe it's even, because this is for some, where you met your spouse. Or maybe this is where your child was baptized. Or, or maybe this is where you went through great banquet. Whatever it might be, that the place has some hold. And so when we talk about changing that, even as we as leadership are going to suggest, it's for a good thing that can point to Jesus, it's still going to be difficult. But what I want you to know is just because it's difficult doesn't mean it's wrong. but I want to acknowledge that there is going to be loss. And I think it's important to do. But the other thing I, I, I want to say this morning is that there's also painful loss and change that happens, and we are, are, have no control over it. Yesterday, we buried Harry Millie. And in the last year, less than a year, we've lost Chuck Voigt, Pete Hudson, Karen Ellett, and now Harry. All people, if you don't know any of their names or don't know them, let me just tell you, all people who have had over the last two decades or more an incredible impact on this church. Incredible impact. And I want to acknowledge that loss. I want to say this especially to our older set, our seasoned saints. I can't imagine, but I'm guessing, just how difficult this is. When you begin to see people who have had a huge impact in your lives, friends, family, loved ones, I think folks who are younger, we just, we don't even get what that must feel like. When you realize that change is all around and that there is great loss. And I want to say nothing more this morning than just how sorry I am that you have to endure that. What I want you to know is that we love you. And in the midst of these changes and other changes that we are going to be going through, some of those things are going to be really painful. But what I hope that you know is that we are here with you in the midst of that. My hope and my prayer is that throughout all of these things, that what we are doing is that we are always pointing to Jesus. One of the great things that those who we have lost did is they were always pointing to Jesus in amazing and beautiful ways. My, my hope is that as a congregation, we will continue to do that, that we will be a people who know that we're loved by Jesus so that we can point to him, a people that know that every gift that we have is given to us by Jesus so that we can point to him. And the people that know that no matter what it may, changes that may occur, losses that we deal with, that we can continue even in the midst of that to point to Jesus. That in so doing, all of us might decrease so that he may increase. For God's glory and for God's glory alone. Amen. Let us pray. God, we know that you are with us. So often we forget that. Help us to experience your love more deeply. Because the more that we know we are loved by you, the less we will feel that we have to compare ourselves to others. The more we know that we are loved by you, the more ready we will be to be able to take those changes that may come around us, and though difficult, may be able to lean into you. Help us to be a people who are always pointing to you. that when we decrease, you increase. It's in your name we pray. Amen.